Welcome back to Extra Point right here on KDOS AM 1060. As always, online at KDOS1060.com and with the KDOS 1060 app powered by Superbook Sports. The Philadelphia 76ers have the chance to close it out tonight in Philly against the Boston Celtics. So we pop on out to the KDOS hotline as we're joined by Gina Mizell with the Philadelphia Inquirer to chat all things 76ers. Gina, it's Bob and Kayla today. How are you? I'm doing well, guys. How are you? We're doing pretty great. Uh, no complaints here on a Thursday. I, w- I want to get your perspective here, though. When we look back at this series, the 76ers and the Celtics, all the way back to game one in Boston, the team was playing without Joel Embiid. He had the knee injury. They received a 45-point performance from James Harden. So at that moment, after game one, how surprised were you with Harden's performance? But then did that kind of set the tone and become a catalyst for something in this series? Yes, first of all, I was surprised by James Harden's performance because he had really struggled um, in the Brooklyn Nets series uh, in the first round, particularly with finishing at the rim and just didn't know that he still had that in him. And lo and behold, then he had another game in game four and the game-winning shot in both of those two games to kind of keep the Sixers afloat series. But yeah, that was, I think, a huge tone setter for this series. But even coming out of game one, I still... I was curious to see how Joel Embiid would look when he came back from the injury. Um, You know, all the MVP stuff was sort of swirling around it. He wondered if that would be a distraction of some. So, yeah, this series has been weird and unpredictable. And I'm like, in some ways, I cannot believe the Sixers have a chance to close out at home tonight. But it's been very strange and entertaining and fun to watch and competitive and I'm really interested to see what comes tonight because every time I think I've known what's going to happen, the exact opposite. <laughs> I'm done projecting. <laughs> well, okay, I might get you to do a little, do a little more projecting here at some point, though. But uh, okay. you kind of answered my question there. You're, you're surprised they're up 3-2. Why are they up 3-2? to two? Yeah, well, again, James Harden's performances in, in games one and four, which like bookended two really bad performances in games two and three when he only made five of his 28 shots. I mean, that kept them afloat. And then going back to Boston for game five, uh, that was, you know, a performance where Joel Embiid has a 30-point outing and, of course, that amazing uh, block in the second half that sort of I think will go down as potentially a defining moment of this series and this playoff run. But you had James Harden kind of settle into 17 points, 10 assists, only eight shots, a lot of free throws. Like, that's what they need out of him. And then I really think the X factor was Tyrese Maxey. He obviously scored 30 points in Game 5, but had really struggled with his shot against the Celtics, not just in this series, but basically in his career. They've been the toughest defensive matchup for him. And so, again, not saying you need 30 points out of him every single night, but if you can get you know, a good complimentary offensive performance from him, and then the defensive performance on Jason Tatum and just mixing up coverages, all of that sort of came together in Game 5. And so that's why I'm really curious to see what Boston does to try to adjust with their season on the line and, and you know the desperation and the sense of urgency and trying probably anything and everything because this is the only opportunity you might have to do that. Gina Mizell with the Philadelphia Inquirer here on KDOS AM 1060 in the extra point. One more for me on Joel Embiid here. It does seem like his mobility is improving as each game goes on. So so what exactly is he dealing with here? And is there no further risk of damage as he continues to, to play on it? Yeah, I mean, there's obviously a fine line between it being unsafe for someone to play with an injury and then just kind of pain tolerance and 
and being able to handle it. So game one obviously held out, and then he kind of had crossed that threshold where he played with a brace for the next um, three games and then did not have a brace on for game five for the first time. So I agree with you in that he's looked a little bit better each time. Um, His conditioning has been a little bit up and down. He admitted he was gassed at the end of the fourth quarter of of game four and then kind of had to rev himself back up for overtime that the Sixers ended up winning. But um, I thought looked better in that regard in in game five. And so I think, you know, especially tonight, if the Sixers do not win and then they have to go back to Boston for game seven, They'll have two days off, which that's the first time in this series there's been more than one day in between games. So I think that would be a huge you know, factor potentially going into Game 7, having that extra time. And then, of course, if the Sixers do win and move on, then they're going to have for sure a couple days off before the um, conference, conference Finals would start. So, yeah, I think it, it's true in that he's kind of gaining steam physically, mobility-wise, comfort-wise, you know, getting back uh, reacclimated into the offense. Like, all of that has been sort of a steady progression and yeah I think if Boston loses this series they can look back on the beginning of this series and really look at that as a missed opportunity because Joe just seems to be getting better and better and kind of all aspects as the series goes along. You mentioned Boston adjustments for tonight so what what should we expect what should we look for uh, maybe early in the game to give us an idea what they might do differently? Yeah, I'll be curious to see how they defend this team because uh, James Harden was talking after game five about how they kind of opted to more clog the paint, and that just really opened up the pick and roll for them, particularly with like those nice little pocket passes to Joe for some free throw jumpers and that type of thing. And so, yeah, do they? what does Boston do defensively? I mean, they were the second-best defensive team in the NBA as far as efficiency during the regular season, but have drops during this playoff run, or this playoff run, not just in this series, but also in the first round against Atlanta. And they've got a lot of great individual defenders when you look at Marcus Smart and Robert Williams and Derek White. And, you know, yeah, who do they put on? Do they switch up any matchups? You know, does Tyrese Maxey have another strong game? Does Tobias Harris get going? Like, just kind of what do they try to stop? Because they've done a lot of different things as far as switching, as far as dropping the big man back. Um, so, yeah, what do they do? right off the bat and then if that doesn't work or that does work like what other potential wrinkles do they throw because like I said they kind of need to try anything and everything at this point because there's no more you can't waste any bullets when your, your season is on the line. Gina Mizell with the Philadelphia Inquirer here on KDUS AM 1060 in the extra point so the Celtics from their perspective offensively they want to shoot threes and so mm-hmm. are the 76ers doing anything differently defensively that's keeping the Celtics three-point percentage in this series low and especially compared to their four regular season matchups when the Celtics kind of feasted in that area? Yeah, no, that's a great point, and that's that's kind of a, a cognizant adjustment since Joe Mazzulla became the Celtics head coach. Is he talks a lot about the numbers game and the math of, you know, obviously three points is more than two points, and so finding the balance of how many three-point shots you want to put up. And so, no, it's, it's kind of similarly like what I was talking about with the Celtics is that the, the Sixers have kind of done a, a, a different a variety of different coverages and, and certainly having Joel Embiid back and, and getting more mobile sort of allows him to be a roamer at times and to kind of protect the rim. He had four blocks in game five. But uh, in talking with Doc Rivers yesterday after their film session, um, you know, he mentioned that rewatching the game, there were some shots that the, the, the Celtics just missed. And so you can't bank on that happening every single game. But that's, yeah, that's closing out. That's, uh, you know, using a guy like P.J. Tucker, who's such a great communicator on that end of the floor and just trying to, you know, limit those, those shots as much as possible. But, 
yeah, you can't bank on Jason Tatum. I think he like missed his first eight shots. You know, Al Horford is has killed the Sixers at times during the regular season and the playoffs, but he was really bad from three point range uh, last game. So no, you kind of can't bank on that happening again. But also, they've done a pretty good job of, of limiting those opportunities uh, it, during the series so far. Daniel House, good minutes mm-hmm. in Game Five. Why did Doc go with him? <laughs> yeah, former Suns legend Daniel House, right? That's <laughs> so, right. No, it, was, it was a big surprise. <laughs> and he ended up being the guy that I wrote about after Game Five, and it was one of those situations where I did not walk into this arena tonight expecting to write 900 words about Daniel House. But uh, as far as why Doc <laughs> went with him, um, you know, he, he's a guy who's very active. He's physical. He's athletic on both ends of the floor. Um, you saw him get out and transition a lot. And I think kind of the X factor is that he played with James Harden in Houston. And so they have kind of a natural connection as far as Daniel knows what to do when James Harden has the ball in his hands. And maybe um, they you know, were supposed to run a certain play, but that's not working. And so Harden kind of just goes into, you know, not freelancing, but sort of figuring out what to do and just kind of going off of feel. And Daniel House kind of knows what to do in those situations, perhaps a little bit better than someone like a Jalen McDaniel, who the Sixers acquired at the trade deadline, who's only been here since February. And that's, you know, no knock on McDaniels, but it's just a, it's an experience and a feel and a chemistry thing that you just can't fake. It only comes with time. So, yeah, we were all very surprised when he came into the game on Tuesday night and then even more surprised to just see the impact. But um, he's kind of a classic story of one of those guys who's a really good locker room presence he's really funny you can tell guys enjoy being around him and so um to see him get that opportunity in such a huge game uh was kind of cool and so that he, he made for a good story and would not be surprised if he was the ninth guy in the rotation again tonight just based on how well he played on tuesday well let's just stay there with the 76ers bench here so you know how has doc been using the bench the rotations has anything surprised you about it and, and i mean certainly though when you're looking at bench production from an offensive standpoint the celtics at least through games one through four certainly had a massive bench advantage yeah yeah and a lot of that obviously has to do with malcolm brogdon the, the sixth man of the year on the Celtics side but um no the, the the bench as far as the top eight guys no big surprises there with uh d'anthony melton uh paul reed and george niang and then um yeah that ninth guy has kind of been mcdaniels who has struggled in his first playoff appearance after the sixers traded for him and then daniel house so that's been the major surprise and then it's just i think been a matter of um, how you use those bench players. You know, Melton is a guy who started for a big chunk of the year, and so he can be used in those kind of three-guard lineups or if you want an extra perimeter defender on the floor. Uh, you know, Niang, obviously, he's their best three-point shooter, and so he needs to be making shots, which he did um, in, in Game 4 and, and has had some opportunities to get those looks. And then, you know, Paul Reed is kind of a fan favorite where, um, you know, he comes in and just needs to kind of survive those Embiid minutes, but he plays really hard. He's a good rebounder. Um, it's come a long way as far as um, his offensive game and, you know, knowing how to screen and roll and, and get the ball and, and finish. So, uh, yeah, like, like you said, they're, they're not always going to be the guys who put up the amount of points as Malcolm Brogdon does or some of those other, you know, Celtics that come off the bench. But they kind of have their own separate roles and what they need to do when they're on the floor. And, and the big stretches for that group are at the top of the second and fourth quarters because James Harden plays with usually those four bench guys. And so um, that's kind of a, a situation where, you know, they got to survive those minutes when Joel Embiid is off the floor. That kind of sometimes opens up James Harden to score a little bit more. But, yeah, those are the big stretches for those, those guys just to kind of hold the fort, um, you know, when, when Embiid is off the floor. 
Yeah, I listened to a little Boston talk radio earlier this week, and uh, between okay. uh, the between between the Bruins losing and the Celtics on the verge here, uh, I'm curious. Do you think the Celtics are you know the, the players and the you know, organization, you know, coach, players, etc., feeling some heat because of what's going on there? Yeah, and I actually my first thing that I did when I came to Boston for Game One was that was the night the Bruins lost. So I was like at a sports Ooh. bar with a friend and watched that meltdown happen. And then Game One happened where the Celtics lost, and then <laughs> yeah. they sort of obviously got back on the train tracks and like now are on the verge again. And it's very interesting to watch that unfold. But yeah, I mean you look at this roster, and you know certainly they're the most talented team remaining in the NBA playoffs now that the the Bucks are out and. See the guys they bring off the bench, you know, a Malcolm Brogdon, a Grant Williams, a Robert Williams, and you're like, man, this team is so talented. Um, but yeah, they kind of have just been a team, even going back to the first round where they sort of screw around and eventually do enough to advance. And and I'll see if they have that in them again this series. Um, you know, they were down three to two to the Bucks last year and came back and won that series in seven games. They certainly, you know, have the capability, but. Uh, you know, this, this coaching matchup has been really interesting with Joe Missoula going through this for the first time as a young coach that was kind of thrust into this role after the whole Ime Udoka situation. So, yeah, it's been it's been kind of interesting to, to watch this unfold. You know, obviously Philly fans are, uh, I, I don't even know if cautiously optimistic is the right word. They like, don't even know what to do with themselves. But, yeah, the Celtics lose this series after the Bucks got eliminated in the first round. Uh, I can't imagine people will be very thrilled um, in that city, given uh, there's there's no passion in Boston, you know. But they will they will be, I'm sure, very uh, have some opinions if this uh, you know goes haywire tonight or potentially on Sunday. Gina Mizell with the Philadelphia Inquirer here on KDOS AM 1060 in the extra points. So when it comes to this matchup of Doc Rivers, Joe Missoula, uh, you know, what sort of strings are Doc Rivers pulling this series that that seems to be working that maybe has eluded um, him in series before yeah i mean i think some of the personnel stuff like we were talking about before with daniel house and and some of the defensive uh versatility that they've shown in, in different games so far this series have have really shown through but i um, mean yeah and joe missoula on the opposite side it has made some uh, critical um interesting calls whether it was you know not calling timeout at the end of game four um you know just uh, kind of it seemed like there's been a lack of adjustments at at certain points and and really just uh, it's kind of inexcusable the way the Celtics came out flat in, in game five in front of their home crowd. I mean, I was in that arena, and it did not feel like a playoff atmosphere. It kind of felt like just a, you know, a heightened regular season game, but it didn't feel like a critical uh, you know, atmosphere for, for a big playoff series. And then the Celtics didn't really give their fans any reason to get excited, and they actually got booed off the court. So, um, yeah, again, like I think you're seeing just – any young coach or any coach in that position for the first time is going to go through some growing pains and go through some moments where they have to make tough decisions and, and maybe make mistakes. But it, it's different when you're doing it with a team that doesn't have the microscope on it, as the Boston Celtics always will, and then particularly in the playoffs when everything is just so magnified. So, no, I would say that as much as Doc Rivers gets criticized, especially by this fan base, and again, we'll see if they're able to close it out because we know Doc Rivers has some some trouble uh, closing out playoff series. Um, it, it, he's out coached Joe Missoula in this series, and so that has been a really interesting development to kind of see. Particularly, he is very maligned and very um, criticized here in Philadelphia, and that's something that uh, to see him kind of win this battle so far um, has been an, an interesting kind of thing that's unfolded so far. Last one for me. Um... 
you know, as far as uh, this this the, as far as the, the the actual series itself goes, but uh, yeah, give me one more thing that uh, we should pay attention to tonight. I, I I got a better question. Let me ask you about real fast. I should have asked this earlier about you know, Joel Embiid. You've watched him play every game. What stands out to you now that you've seen him play every game? Yeah, I mean, he's just got such an incredible blend of dominance and skill in that he's obviously a very large human who can score with force and score with power. But the way his game has developed in the last couple seasons in particular, where he's playing more at the elbow and the nail and kind of facing up more and can see the floor better. And so that allows him to shoot off the dribble and drive off the dr- and make plays off the dribble. But also he's become a much better passer because he can notice when the double teams come and the extra defender comes and he can dish it out to guys, you know, on the perimeter, or just find his teammates. And so that combination of, of uh, power, of skill, of basketball IQ, all of those things are, are why he's the MVP. And then obviously he does it on both ends of the floor too, with the way he can protect the rim. So, um, you know, I've, I've covered a lot of incredible players uh, in, in the NBA right now. When you look at a, a Devin Booker, a Chris Paul and Nicole Jokic while it was in, in Denver um, and, Joe is just, yeah, he is, um, he's obviously had the best season or the best player this season. That's why he's the MVP, but um, just an incredible blend of doing stuff that a center should not be able to do. So, yeah, that seeing him every day, that is um, really what's impressed me is, is just that, that combination of sort of everything in, in one package. Gina, as always, we appreciate your time. Have fun tonight, and we'll catch up with you down the road. All right. Sounds great, guys. Thank you for having me. You're welcome. Once again, she is Gina Mizell with the Philadelphia Inquirer.